0: everybody knows that when you get older, you know, your joints wear out, you get arthritis. I mean, it's just part of getting older, right? Maybe not. Maybe something like knee osteoarthritis is just uh caused by something else and cured by something else. We're going to find out more about that on today's episode of the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting feet first, because, you know, those things are your foundation. We break down the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the outright lies that you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or play or hike or do yoga or CrossFit, whatever it is you like to do, and to do that enjoyably, effectively, efficiently. And did I mention enjoyably? It's a trick question. I know that I did, because, look, if you're not having fun, do something different till you are, because if it's not enjoyable, you're not going to keep it up anyway. Um, I'm Stephen Sashen, your host of the Movement Movement podcast and the co-founder and CEO of Zero Shoes at zeroshoes.com. And we call it the Movement Movement because we are creating a movement that involves you, doesn't cost anything, really easy, more about that in a second. About natural movement, we're helping people rediscover that letting your body do what it's made to do is the better, obvious, healthy choice. The same way we think about natural food and the movement part that involves you, easy go to www.jointhemovement.com. You don't need to do anything to join, just the URL. Uh, but that's where you'll find all the previous episodes of the podcast, the different ways you can interact with us. You can find us wherever you find podcasts, but also on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And then subscribe and like and share and you know all those things you know how to do. In short, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. All right. Let us jump in Dr. Isabel Sacco. It is a pleasure to see you. We've um, had some email volleys since we met a couple of, man, it seems like simultaneously very short time ago because of COVID, but also it's been a number of years since we met at the International Foot and Ankle Biomechanics um, Conference. So um, pleasure. Happy to have you here. Tell people who you are and where you are and what you normally do.
1: Yeah, it's very nice to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Um, Well, I work at the University of Sao Paulo at the School of Medicine, particularly to the Department of Physical Therapy. I run a biomechanics lab. It's here in Brazil. And my research uh, main focus are people that have some dysfunctions, musculoskeletal and neurological dysfunctions, such as diabetes, neuropathy, and uh, knee OA. So we've been studying this for like 20, 25 years, and we jump into the foot and the importance of the foot. So this is what we've been doing for the past
0: decades, few decades. So what was it especially about, so knee osteoarthritis, knee OA is something, or and KOA, depending on who you're talking to and what how clever they want to be. Um, it, this is something that obviously plagues many, many people. What was it that got you interested in studying that to begin with? And by the way, a little teaser, we're going to be talking about your research and the thing that you presented at IFAB that was, um, I think for many people, shocking, and a lot of people didn't even want to believe it uh, and still don't, but we'll get to that in a sec. But why? what got you interested in this aspect of uh, biomechanical research.
1: We've uh, come across to a paper in 2006 from a group of Rush University in Chicago, and they found out that walking barefoot, people that has knee-away, elderly people walking barefoot, produced less impacts or less joint moments at the knee, comparing comparing to walking with a more structured and more uh, cushioned shoes. So this, uh, we were shocked about that in the beginning. And then this same group, this uh, group from Chicago, they studied an adapted shoe that they did um, cuts in the sole of the shoe to make the shoe more flexible. And they, their results were also very interesting. The loads were still higher compared to the barefoot walking using this different shoe. But it reduced compared to more structured shoes, sportive shoes. So then we were wondering if we could... Um, reduce loads in those knees, in those damaged knees, using a very uh, popular shoes that we have in Brazil. It's very uh, inexpensive, it's very cheap and very common, and it's a minimalist shoe. So uh, we wanted to give the opportunity for this population to have a more conservative solution for the loads uh, considering that the loads in the away is the main cause of the progression and the pain and the reduced function. So we wanted to reduce the loads in order to reduce the progression of the disease. So and,
0: l- yeah, l- go l- ahead. L- i ahead pause there for a second because you-, you said something that I think is critical and often misunderstood. And what I teased at the beginning is that arthritis is often caused by loading forces just progressive loading forces into the knee joint. And I know there's animal studies that show this. You basically take an animal's leg, make it relatively straight and just percuss the heel, just, you know, continually, um, um I'm trying to think of another word for percuss for people who don't know percuss, um, a bang on the heel. And, um, and that creates loading forces in the knee, which leads to arthritis. Most people think of arthritis as just a natural degenerative process, but you're suggesting that's not the case.
1: Now, the main villain of the OA is loads and it came from body weight, increased body weight or uh, activities that you accelerate the body, accelerate the mass, like running or jumping or do gymnastics. Or if you use your body in a way that your musculoskeletal structures could not absorb the impact properly. So, if you if your body is not adequate or trained or strong enough or functional enough, you may have you may experience more impacts in your joints. So, you could train your body, or you can use uh, tools or shoes or whatever to help your body to respond to that impact and absorb them in order to avoid loads and avoid the progression of degenerative diseases such as osteoarthritis.
0: This is the thing that, you know, that we obviously talk about all the time And people ask us, you know, why is there no cushioning in your zero shoes? And I say, because there's no man made cushioning that performs better than your muscles, ligaments, and tendons. And of course, you know, the cushioning wears out the moment you start to use it. Your muscles, ligaments, and tendons, the more you use it, the stronger they can get, or the stronger they can stay as you experience sarcopenia when you get older. But this is, you know, it's amazing that people somehow think that cushioning is better than your body and more cushioning is better. And of course, you know, the research from many people, people you've already mentioned, Christine Pollard and others shows that the cushioning just doesn't work. And yet I say it's like the, the story of the boy who cried wolf with the shoe industry is every couple of years. They're the shoe industry that cried cushioning, is they have some new form of cushioning and people just you know run to find out what it is. And the difference is in the boy who cried wolf, the villagers eventually got smart and don't show up. But in the shoe company that cried cushioning, for whatever reason, for the last 50 years, people keep showing up over and over despite the lack of evidence for the efficacy of cushioning. It just blows my mind. Anyway, so, yes. so then backing up to your study, who was the population? What was the population that you decided to research?
1: It was elderly or older adults, female, older adults, because the shoes we wanted to test is uh, for women. So the only population, the only, yeah, we had to test only in women. I've heard that there is some, of course, zero shoes, and I could test also the uh, Kung Fu shoe, which is also very flexible, people that do Kung Fu, yeah. But, but, Well, we we tested women. They were uh, over 65 years old till 80s. They had knee OA for quite some time. And the degree, the severity degree were from two to three. We have one, two, three, four levels of uh, severity of OA. The fourth level, you have to go to the uh, prosthesis. So uh, you have to go to surgery. Right. So... We wanted to have people that is not at that severity level. So two and three. Why not? One, because one is not conclusive. Mm. So people don't know if they have OA or not. And those grades um, are diagnosed by... X-rays, simple X-rays.
0: I'm glad that you said that because a lot of, there are a number of, um, let's call them studies for lack of a better term, where it's just based on perceived pain or perceived problem, but you actually have real data. There's X-ray data. There's radiological data showing, no, no, this is a real condition, um, regardless of what their experience of it is. Because some people will have feel more or less pain, but the osteoarthritis is undeniable. Here it is. On the on the X ray film, well, it used to be film. I don't know if you had film or if it was digital at that point. Um, yeah, it's so digital. Then what was the intervention, and uh, um, you know what was the design of the study then?
1: Yeah. So before we planned this clinical randomized clinical trial, we did some study cross sectional studies to test if these flexible minimal shoe, like the ones you have behind you, <laughs> but a Brazilian kind, if these shoes really work reducing the knee loads, the knee adduction moment. The knee adduction moment is one uh, biomechanical variable that we measured and has been described in the literature that has a, a very intimate link to the progression of OA. way. So if we measure using kinematics and kinetics and do an inverse dynamics calculation, we came to this Joint moment that at the end mean loads in the knee. So we measure this knee moment. Do you, do you want to cut? Yeah, I was going uh, to say,
0: for people who are not um, as proficient or, or familiar with some of the terminology that we're using, can you say more about for people who are trying to visualize this, what does that knee adduction moment look like? What do they, how would they experience it themselves?
1: Yeah, when you walk, the loads of your body go. In the medial part of your knee, usually. And this load, when it goes to this medial part of your knee, it creates a bending uh, movement. So, this bending movement in the, the lateral, medial lateral bending causes a torque, a rotational torque, uh, ro- rotational effect. In the force and this rotational effect of this body uh, mass going into your medial part of the knee causes loads and these loads, depending on the um, magnitude, it could degenerate the cartilage. Uh, over and over the years, that's why everyone will get at some point in your life a degenerative condition in 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 your cartilages if you don't prevent uh, this increase of loads. So these measures, what we did in in our lab was testing, doing some locomotor tasks like walking, going up and down stairs. Is that everything okay? Oh, yeah. are, are you? No, no, that's good.
0: No, no, you're on it. I mean, you know, and again, I'm going to try and hyper simplify it as well. If you think about your thigh and then your lower leg, and then the knee is in the middle. And when you're basically just applying force from doing almost anything, the actual force is getting into the middle of that knee joint with some, there's some torque. It's not just straight up and down, especially if because you're, you're not actually landing that way. And just that the angles of that, the different angles that that force is applied is just creating some wear and tear. In fact, if, and the, if is the important part there, if you don't have the muscular, the musculoskeletal, skeletal, well, let's just call it muscles, ligaments, and tendons. If the soft tissue isn't really strong enough to support that or reduce that. And you made me think of something that I hadn't thought of for a long time. When I was 32, so 17, 18 years ago, um, I was a gymnast. I landed while twisting and heard this sound come out of my knee. And I fell to the ground thinking, well, that was the end of my gymnastics career. And it was and was interesting to me was that um, I ended up having about 30% 30% of the cartilage removed from my knee, my meniscus, which was also really fun because I um, I had them do the surgery by giving me an epidural. So I got to watch the surgery, which was very entertaining. Um, at one point, I'm, I'm a geek that way. At one point, um, I'm watching it on this giant television. I said, can you take the instruments out so I can see how big they are? Because on TV, they look huge, but they're you know tiny, tiny little arthroscopic instruments. And anyway, point being that, for years afterwards, for many years afterwards, um, I had trouble walking, running. I had been doing Tai Chi before that. I couldn't do it because it was so painful. And then to make a long story very short, did some rather intensive knee strengthening work and then have been fine ever since. So what happened apparently was just that my soft tissue just wasn't strong enough to handle that change in the structure of my knee. And, And no one diagnosed that properly for years. Then I have this crazy MD friend who's who's it from instantly and that was what helped. So the thing that even having significantly less cartilage in my knee to protect it, I've been fine for the last whatever that I have whatever I said two years minus however long ago that happened and uh, and have been you know obviously running, et cetera, et cetera. So it yeah. just highlights how much protection one can get. From I mean, stronger is better than weaker is the simplest thing we can say.
1: Yes, yes. I always like to give examples to my students and people that I talk about that. There are some studies that compare, for example, the amount of uh, mechanical energy that some of the musculoskeletal structures of our body absorb during walking and running. And for example, just for a matter of comparison, when you take your thigh muscle, the quadriceps, it absorbs 66 joules of mechanical energy each step of during running. If you you go to the triceps surrey or uh, the gastrocnemius muscle, I don't know the... the Calf. Your calf muscle. Yeah, calf muscle. (laughs) We say belly of our leg in Portuguese. I don't know in English. Oh,
0: no, that's not an English <laughs> phrase, but I like it. <laughs>
1: yeah. So this muscle absorbs like 26 joules. If we we'll go to the plantar fascia or the arch of the foot, only one structure of so many structures of the foot. It absorbs more than 15, 16 joules. If you go to a shoe, a regular running shoe it absorbs 3 to 4 joules
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's brilliant
1: um, yeah so our body solves the problem we don't need anything else besides our muscles our tendons our cartilages or ligaments so coming back to the minimal issue again I mean,
0: coming back to these old ladies in minimal shoes
1: yes we first tested if these shoes really absorb the impact in the in the, in the mm-hmm. knee and what we saw was a very interesting result because while walking down stairs and this task we have more impacts than walking up stairs mm-hmm. so walking down and walking just walking uh, we reduced we got the same level of knee loads as we were walking barefoot, mm. and in some moments during gait, we call the um, middle stance. Mid
0: stance, yeah.
1: Mid stance. When we are with the the whole foot over the ground, and the other and the other leg is swinging. Mm-hmm. So during this time, we had a reduction in twelve percent. Comparing to barefoot, so the minimal issue was very successful in reducing lo- ro- loads, even comparing to uh, barefoot, which I we know it, it was the gold standard for for loading absorption. So after we confirmed that, after we confirmed that this shoe really works, we planned a randomized control trial where we randomized sixty elderly women. Two groups, one group walked for six months with the minimalist shoe and the other group did whatever they used to do with their shoes, which is usually, which were usually sport shoes, very cushioned shoes, because people like that and advise them to use that even if there are no evidence that it works. I just want to mention that there is one uh, paper from Case Kerrigan. She compared this is sportive shoes with barefoot. And she came across that. It really increases the loads in the foot. If you use the, those types of shoes and it can increase the progression of a way. So, I don't know why people or clinicians or whatever is to advise people with knee away to use these shoes.
0: I'll tell you my theory. My theory, I've got, there's two parts to it, but first I want, well, okay. Then I'm going to have a question for you. My theory is that A, the idea of cushioning just seems to make intuitive sense. You You sit on something cushioned, you lie on something cushioned, it feels good. And so, we just assume that when you put something on your foot and it feels good because there's that little bit of cushioning, that that must be good. What people don't realize, of course, is that with that cushioning, it changes your biomechanics. It changes the way you move um, and your kinematics. And therefore, that's what's leading to some of the force in addition to what you said before, where the cushion shoe just doesn't absorb that much force to begin with. But the bigger one is, two, two, is closely related, two issues closely related. One is that We've been hearing this story, like I said, like the boy who cried wolf, we've been hearing this story for 50 years from companies that spend billions of dollars convincing you that this is true. And there wasn't a counter argument. And so now now that that's been going on for over 50 years, we've had two generations, over two generations of people who believe this. And once you get past one generation, it becomes common knowledge. It's just the way it is. And when people haven't had another experience, now I'll say this way, when they think they haven't had another experience, they're going to then use their own memory of their own experience to justify the belief from the advertising from these big companies. And I say, they think they haven't had the experience because you ask almost anybody, do you remember, actually, I'll tell you this story in a fun way. There's a former two-time world heavyweight champion boxer named Lennox Lewis. I had the pleasure of talking with Lennox on the phone a little while ago. He's from Jamaica. And he said to me, what do your shoes do for support? I said, when you were a kid in Jamaica, did you run around barefoot all the time? He goes, yeah. I said, did you have any foot problems? He said, no. I said, what did you do for support? He said, nothing. I said, we do the same thing. And it's like, oh, so people have had the experience, but they don't remember because they assume that that was just, you know, that was a thing that you do when you were a kid. But as soon as you get into shoes, you clearly need them. And then it's just, you know, you're in an echo chamber because there was no other option. So it related to that at the, um, so our dear friend, Irene Davis puts on this event called the science of running medicine. And I, and Irene does this amazing presentation about how regular shoes cause problems and truly minimalist shoes can cure those problems and it's this is all physical therapists there's you know 150 200 physical 200 physical therapists in the room and i said to irene after your presentation everyone in that room should run and attack me and steal all of my shoes but they don't what happens is half of the room comes and checks out what we're doing and only half of them actually get interested in what we're doing mostly the younger physical therapists And I said, one of the reasons is you can't talk people out of what they believe with data. You tell people they're wrong and it just doesn't do any good. And the second thing is these people have, A, um, been wearing cushion shoes for most of their life. And they believe that they're good because they haven't tried anything else. And they've also been recommending these to their patients. So for them to make a change would be such a massive shift in their own identity, let alone their identity in relation to their patients, that they just won't go there. And the the goal that I have, the thing that I try to do is again, remind people of the experiences they've had that contradict what the shoe companies have been telling them. It's like, you know, remember when you were a kid and you ran around barefoot and you feel the grass between your toes, or why don't you, or my favorite thing to point out is I, I pull up a regular running shoe, like I'm holding in my hand right now with a pointy toe box. And I say, is that the shape of your foot? it shouldn't be. And if it is, it's only from shoving them into shoes that look like this. And why would you squeeze your toes together? If you're going to drop and do pushups, you don't squeeze your fingers together. You spread them apart. Same thing with your feet. And then people start to go, huh? And so that's, for me, that's the way in, but people don't, I mean, the, the, the research doesn't do anything because people will, they already believe what they believe. They've already spent so much money on on the shoes that they have that it's just too much of a shift Um, or it's just not the way human beings process contradictory information. So this is the challenge that we all have is on the one hand, we want the research that you and many other people are doing to back up the story, but the research isn't enough to get people to make most people to make a shift. What, you know, we have to do that thing that makes them curious and then show them the research, but more than give them the experience. So anyway, that was a long diatribe, but it actually leads me to the question I wanted to ask you. You saw that by getting people out of shoes and being barefoot, and then in this minimalist shoe, the maleka, that they, that the loading forces were reduced if you could say something about what it is that actually reduces the loading forces, in other words, I'm gonna I'm gonna poison the well by just baiting the question. Clearly, what happens and what I what we've seen over and over and what I saw in the lab with Dr. Bill Sands is their gate changes, the way they move changes when they get out of those shoes. Can you say more about what you saw in terms of gate change that led to those reduced loading forces?
1: Yeah. So in this um, clinical trial, we measure foot biomechanics or uh, foot and ankle biomechanics uh, because they have to have the shoe on. We couldn't measure exactly the 33 joint movements inside the the foot. But what we saw was um, because usually people with OA, they usually walk with the toes out Mm. uh, to reduce the knee adduction moment, oh. and what we saw was a difference in the toe out. So they reduce the toe out walking, they reduce the rotation of the hips that is necessary to do this uh, walking with the toe out. So, uh, what we saw was a more natural walking pattern after six months of this shoe usage. So, probably. What we hypothesized is that they used more of those 25 muscles, 33 joints, 108 ligaments inside the foot to absorb the energy or to absorb the impacts. And also, they changed the way they walked in a more natural way without doing any mechanical strategies to reduce the loads.
0: Right. It just naturally adapted. I, I, yeah the way I would have to say it is doing it wrong hurts, doing it right feels better. And if you have no choice, uh, if you're in a position where you can't change your footwear, in this case, um, your brain eventually goes, oh, you're going to do that now? Well, then let's make it a little easier. Let's not put ourselves in pain. And it subtly and slowly figures out how to move differently to to change that external rotation of the femur, to change the thing that points the toes out. Clearly the thing that's going to be doing that, or I'm going to, this is my hypothesis, The information they're getting from their foot is coming up and changing the way they're activating their glutes because it's the glute that allows that turning out or turning in. And that's really interesting that just getting out of normal shoes can inform the body in a way that it starts using your glutes which of course are the prime movers and let you move more naturally. And also, I mean, I know you didn't study this, but also can be something that can very much help um, eliminate back pain because it's supporting your lower back when your glutes are actually working properly. Uh, yeah. did you, did, uh, this is not part of the study, obviously, but did you hear anyone make any reports about um, reduction in back pain?
1: No. Yeah. Damn, that would no. be good. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> probably the, uh, and if you, if you are still in pain, if you, could not do this uh, more natural walking, or if you are still using this stupid shoes with a lot of cushion, probably when you change the biomechanics of gait, you would change also the distribution of loads in other joints.
0: Mm.
1: So it might have a a worse consequence for other joints too. So putting them in a natural, more biomechanical a positive way of walking is also good for other joints, not only the knee. And I just want to come back a little bit about what you were saying about why people still advocate discussion cushion shoes for OA people. I think it's it's of course a, a belief, a blind belief, but also the comfort guides us to choose our shoes. Right. And we've been studying comfort and shoes for a while. And what we saw in a, in a previous study with runners is that when the comfort they feel doesn't have anything to do with the impact while running. So what we saw was in a study, we compare four types of shoes, of running shoes, of very cushioned. shoes. Cushioned ones. Some of them were more. Some of them were less cushioned. What we saw was the highest comfort was the biggest impact. And our mechano- mechanoreceptor in the in the the plantar uh, surface detects pressure, which is force divided by area.
0: area right.
1: <laughs> so if you have a, a larger area, because the shoes has. Uh, an insole very cushioned that embraces your, your your foot you are miss how can I say that your body is receives the wrong information mm. that because your mechanoreceptors detects less pressure it's supposed it supposedly reduces the impacts, but it doesn't. So it's only a perception of pressure, but not a perception of the impact. It's so we are mis- How can I say it's that I don't? Know I mean.
0: It's not misrepresenting, but misinterpreting, Not even misinterpreting. You're just not, you're just getting the wrong information. Is the show. yes?
1: You're getting the wrong information.
0: So, so let me wait. I want to. I want to slow that one down. So what you're suggesting is that with a more cushioned shoe, the force that the bottom of your foot will feel is being dissipated enough. So you're so the mechanoreceptors, the, those receptors in, your, in the bottom of your foot that are going to be detecting force, they're not getting that information. And that information isn't then being transferred up into your brain uh, or in your spinal cord in the right way. And so the actual loading forces are the same. You just aren't feeling it at that first point of contact.
1: Yeah, you were feeling like more distributed because they the mechanoreceptors are sensible to pressure, not to right. force. Ah. And the force is really what degenerates the structures. The force is the evil or the villain to our body. So, so let's say this, this in a
0: different way. So the cushioning is hiding the force by a reduced yeah. experience of pressure. Yes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and they're oh, and so this is you know it's so interesting. You say this way back in the days when Hoka first came out, there were a number of runners that I know who switched to that shoe, and they're going, "Oh my god, it feels so good!" And I said to them, "Oh, just wait." And every one of them, two years later, had knee problems and couldn't run.
1: Whoa, yeah, this is why because because then you were deceived. I I have to look for it. Then. Oh, deceived, yeah, deceived is good. Deceived. Yeah. So you were deceived by the pressure detection from the mechanoreceptors. And what we saw in this paper from my student uh, like five years ago, we saw that the highest comfort produces the highest impact peak, depending on the shoe. And people go to the store and look for the more comfortable shoe, not the more effective shoe for absorbing impacts. So this is the first problem that we see that maybe this is one of the reasons that even if there are many scientific evidences proving that the cushion shoe doesn't solve problems like Neo Wei, they keep advising to use that. Not only because they believe as a religion, but because they feel more comfortable and they think comfortable.
0: You nailed it. If if you're a salesperson and somebody can walk in and try on a shoe and go, oh, my God, that feels comfortable, it's an infinitely easier sell. And so let's just say a lot of the people on the sales floor who don't know any better are looking to sell shoes. That's their job. And the easiest way to sell something is to give people an immediate experience of comfort even if that comfort is demonstrably bad for them. Now, ironically, you know, we have this happen all the time when people come into our office and try shoes on. The first thing they get is the comfort of having their toes not squeezing together, so they feel that comfort. And then they also get the comfort of having their posture realigned because they don't have the elevated heel. And then they walk around and they get the added comfort of actually feeling their foot moving. And we're on a very, and so basically they're getting the comfort of being close to barefoot. For anyone who likes barefoot, they're getting that experience and they experience that as comfortable. And then they start walking around. My favorite thing is someone will say, well, don't I need arch support? And I said, well, I don't know. You've been walking around for 20 minutes. Do you feel like you need arch support? They say, no. I go, "Ah, eh, then you don't. And of course they don't. But to your point, and it's, again, it's like getting on a mattress. You know, a really, really comfortable mattress is not necessarily the one you should sleep on because it could put your joints in positions that are problematic if you're spending eight hours a day in those positions. But we're, this is going to sound strange, maybe. I mean, we're wired to look for comfort for a reason. Clearly, it's a an evolutionary thing. One of the things with our sandals, which one? Oh yeah, it's up there, that pinkish one. So our Z-Trail sandal, the amount of foam in that Is very small and it compresses a very tiny amount, maybe half a millimeter, maybe a millimeter tops. And when people put it on, they talk about how comfortable it is. And in my mind, I'm thinking something that compresses that small amount is not super comfortable technically, but people experience it as being very comfortable. So it must be, is my hypothesis, that at some point in our distant, distant past, that little bit of cushioning, that tiny bit of give, must have signaled to us something good is nearby. Food, water, shelter, something, Um, somewhere good to sleep. Some, I mean, who knows? Because it doesn't make sense from a physics standpoint, if you will, that that tiny amount of cushioning creates that feeling of comfort. And so there must be a reason. And if we just extrapolate from that, again, you know, there must be reasons that we prefer certain kinds of comfort over what's better for us from some kind of mismatch of evolution and our current lifestyle. Yeah,
1: probably. Probably. Stephen, I just want to finish the study.
0: I know. That's what I was going to say next. Let's go.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So then what we saw after six months, we saw a reduction in 62, 63% of pain. Mm. They start using less painkillers medication, a lot, significantly less painkillers. It improved 66, 67% in function. So they were much better. And when we measured the knee joint torque, that impact, it reduces 15% in six months of usage. So it was a very amazing result
0: well let's get to Just the x i'm assuming you, you you x-rayed them again at the end of that six months yes
1: yes yes but then because the x-ray is a very simple measure we could not see the damage in the cartilage mm. that we had to do a different exam, an MRI right. with contrast. Then we could see the cartilage. This is a, a future study that I wanted to do to see the changes in cartilage. But we know from literature that reducing loads reduces the progression of OA. And the in the same in the same six months, the control group that kept using the cushion shoes they increased 25% in the impact peak of that knee joint so they for sure will progress more rapidly comparing to the intervention group That's and, and,
0: do you have yeah. a theory, do you have a theory about why that you saw they saw the progression in load i mean i have one i want to hear if you have one
1: go ahead and okay, your <laughs> mine
0: is these are elderly women. And again, it's something I referenced before. So as we get older, we start to lose muscle mass, we experience sarcopenia. And so if the reduction of impact is not contingent on the shoes, but is about the soft tissue providing. Force reduction. As we're getting older and we start to lose muscle mass, we have less muscle mass to provide that protection. So that yeah. would lead to the, the ongoing progression that is just coming, quote, coming from just getting older, which of course is not that. It's just the function of getting older and losing muscle mass, which that one is very hard to do anything about, along with having the shoes that are increasing the loading forces. It just becomes a vicious circle.
1: Yes. Yes, this is vicious circle, because when you you use more support by the shoe, for example, you will need less input from your muscles. So then you 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 use more support because you have less and less strength, less and less functionality. So so then you are trapped. Yeah, you were caged to this condition. It's a very bad situation i just want you to, to share just one more uh, yeah. study that i just finished and it's published in the american journal of sports medicine we trained the foot of runners and we know runners are well trained they have a lot of strength flexibility so the gain that we can have with this population is very small But we train the foot and usually they run with a very cushioned shoes and they run with cushioned shoe. We didn't change the shoe, but we changed the way they use the foot inside the shoe or outside the shoe while they are doing daily living activities. And after a year of this practice, they reduce 2.5 times or fold, I don't know, the injury rates. So they were, and we studied 120 runners, recreational runners, and after 12 months, they were less injured in 2.5 times compared to the control group.
0: This is brilliant. You know, you're going to love this. We have a couple of professional hockey players who are wearing zero shoes who called us to say, we're skating better because our feet are getting stronger from wearing your shoes when we're off the ice and out of those boots that don't let our feet move. And that seems so counterintuitive. You're basically showing the same sort of thing. So what was the thing? What did you have these people doing for foot strengthening that led to this impressive result?
1: Yeah, we selected some exercises that are very common: the short foot, the arch, Don't the me. arch elevation, the adduction, abduction. We use uh, some mm-hmm. small balls, oh. yes, to, to, to increase the resistance of the shoe, like this thing that people use for yeah, uh, nail polish.
0: Yeah. Oh. So. Yeah. You- they- so you put little oh yeah so you put so for people who can't see so you have um, like if you're getting a pedicure they put these yeah. little sponge things to separate your toes instead yes. of having them separated you use that to have them squeeze in oh that's yes. brilliant <laughs> yeah,
1: so we use that we use also elastic bands uh-huh. uh, to open and to abduct the fingers so it was a, a program of Many exercises, we have around 30 exercises, different exercises, and we progress the exercise as the runner evolves in the training. They were training once a week with a physical therapist and other three times alone with a software that we developed. So they followed the the exercise regime for eight weeks. Then we measure them eight weeks before and eight weeks after. To evaluate the foot biomechanics and it changed a lot. We did also MRI to see that if the muscle increases in cross-sectional area and increases in strength, we used the tests to test the foot muscles' strength. And we followed them for a year to measure the running injury incidence. It was an amazing result.
0: That is and just incredible. for
1: them to use the foot. Use your
0: foot! (laughs) Oh my God, that is brilliant. Well, I mean, obviously, you You know, what you did, what you, you, what you need to do is you and Sarah Ridge at BYU need to get together because her study was showing, you know, walking in minimalist shoes increases foot But she didn't do, and she had the exercise program being separate, and she didn't do combining the exercise program and the minimalist shoes. Nor did you. So you had the exercise program in regular shoes. that's the study we have to do next is, you know, putting those two things together yes. <laughs> and see what kind of result we get. Oh my God, I can't wait. So when is this study being published?
1: It's already, it's published this last year oh, in the American Journal of Sports Medicine. Oh, it's an I, amazing paper. You have to see it. I,
0: I feel remiss that I somehow missed it, but A, you'll have to point me to it and B, what's happening with the software? Are you making that commercially available?
1: Yeah, it is. It's free, public, and you can use the Google Translator to use. It's already translated to Portuguese of course English but if you use the Google translator tool, you can use in do in german in whatever in polish i know that the brazilian the brazilian the uh, german society of diabetes they are using our software already to train the foot of diabetic patients because wow. we train also diabetic patients the foot of them and we saw a reduction in the ulcer incidence after a year using or oh, doing just foot exercises,
0: uh, and I'm, I'm guessing a big chunk of that is just increasing circulation.
1: Um, no, it improves the musculoskeletal oh, condition, yeah, yeah. and but, then you use your foot more properly, and the right. foot pullover during gait changes, and the distribution of pressure changes. Uh, 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 uh. Because the, the main problem of ulceration is the mechanical loads. Okay. If you change the way you roll over your foot, you will change this risk factor, and then you reduce the incidence of injury. And also, in diabetic patients, if you have a muscle atrophy, which they have, and also deformation of the joints to a, a clotose or those type of things, you also increase the pressure because of this deformation. So if you improve the condition of the foot, if you increase the strength, if you realign the joints, you reduce the chance of an ulceration.
0: So this is gonna sound perhaps silly, but I'm getting a little teary-eyed. And the reason- I saw. Yeah. And the reason why, oh man, this is affecting me in a big way. Um, on the one hand, it's painful to me that the people who are doing this incredible work, you, for example, that this information isn't out there and making a difference. That's painful. But the, what has me teary-eyed is the opposite of that. Those of us who are exploring natural movement in the, way, in the different ways that we're doing it and hopefully supporting each other in the process. When people say, what are you trying to do at Zero Shoes? I go, nothing special, just change the world. And it's just, you know, fun to say it that way. But what you just described is part of a thing that, you know, will change the world. If we can get enough people to have this experience and understand it, it can change yeah. the world. And, yes. and I mean, it's not like I didn't know this, but it's just hitting me at another level. Because when you start to bring in things like diabetic patients, where many people think that there's just nothing to do for them, or again, put them in big, thick cushioned shoes so they don't use their feet, which just makes things progressively worse. You know, this is... Just, it's such a big deal. In fact, you know, the only other time I got kind of teary-eyed like this now that I think of it was when Irene Davis said to me, if we just get kids wearing shoes like yours, in 20 years we won't have to treat adults for the billions of dollars of problems they currently have. And, you know, we're up against we're up against a mountain of propaganda from big footwear companies and a mountain of quote common knowledge from just again the 50-year history of this. But the difference is. We can, uh, this is sort of like you weren't there at the American College of Sports Medicine uh, a couple of years ago. I was on a panel discussion with some guys from Brooks and Adidas and uh, our friend, Tony Post from Topo. And the guys from Brooks and Adidas were saying, well, we don't have any research to prove that we can reduce injury and improve performance. And I said, we do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> on our end, we do. And it didn't, it it still didn't really register with people. But, um, and I know, look, uh, you'll like this. We've had the CEOs of two multi billion dollar footwear brands and a senior vice president of a third say directly to friends of ours that this, or a friend of ours, that this whole idea of natural movement is legitimate. They, they said, we can't do it though, because it would be admitting everything we've said for 50 years is a lie. So if we can overcome that hurdle, get atop of that mountain of lies, and start skiing down the other side, this will change the world.
1: Yes, it will. It will definitely. And you know, some of the research that we did with diabetic patients now is inside a guideline for prevention of ulceration. So, since 1995, they published every four years a guideline to uh, guide clinicians to prevent ulcerations. And for the first time in 2019, two years ago, they published a new guideline, and now the foot-related exercises are there to prove that we can improve sensitivity, we can improve range of motion, we can improve strength, and we might reduce the incidence of ulcer. Because this paper or this clinical trial that we just finished proved that we can reduce the incidence of ulceration. And Michael Miller from a uni- Washington University, he also proved two years or no, some years ago, that also the incidence of ulcer did not increase doing foot-related exercises. And when we use a minimal shoe, we allowed the joints and the muscles to exercise. And Sarah Ridge already proved that if we use a minimal shoe, the condition, the musculoskeletal condition of the foot improve. So maybe we can connect that. Yeah. We just published, uh, I had the honor to be part of this paper written by Danielle Lieberman, Irene Davis, Sarah Ridge, Myself and Scott yes. Waring, where we discuss about the minimal shoe. I don't know if you if you saw this paper. I did
0: see that one actually.
1: Yeah, and we approach those topics, and we I, I discuss about diabetic patients. We have to do some research using minimal shoes yeah. in in this population. So we just we first do exercises, but maybe the next step will be testing minimal shoes for people not in a in a risk for ulceration. So people with neuropathy, but not in with a history of ulceration. Because if you already have an a ulcer, you have 40% chance of re-ulcerate. Mm-hmm. So the re-ulceration rate is very high. So people, probably people that hasn't ulcerated yet, we could use this strategy.
0: The, you know, some people ask me why um, people like you and Irene, et cetera, are are studying minimalist footwear instead of barefoot. And Irene had the perfect answer, which is because most people aren't gonna go barefoot. And similarly, um, in the study you just mentioned and the paper you just mentioned, Just presenting the exercises is an easier way in for people than saying, hey, you have to do these exercises and switch your footwear. Um, So, you know, we want to meet people where they are and give them a little nudge to the next step and the next step and the next step. That's the easiest way to make massive change. And again, in fact, I'm reading a book about this right now. I can't even remember what it's called. I just got it from the library, but it's all about, it's from the, the work from Robert Thaler about behavioral economics and how making people change requires small incremental steps because if they're small and incremental, you won't even notice it's not a big intervention. And then eventually you end up with a big intervention when you have those all up. And yeah, and that, so that's, that's the thing that I keep thinking here is at a certain point, this natural movement idea is going to hit that critical mass where we've taken these little steps. And again, that's the, uh, now I'm getting chills instead of crying, that's the, the change the world part. And I got to tell you, honestly, one of the things that I say is um, I just hope I'm alive to see it. So I'm going to be 60 years old soon. I don't know how long I'm going to live. Thanks to the internet, information travels faster than it did before, but it takes a while for people to make changes. So, you know, I hope I'm alive to see it.
1: Yeah. Changing paradigms is very hard for people. In science, I think it's easier because we have data. We are convinced by the data. But I think in a common sense, it's more difficult to prove.
0: Well, it's like, did you see the article? Um, in, it was in the Washington Post. that was featuring Irene Davis and Jada Sherry and talking about how um, regular shoes could be detrimental for kids development and for elderly people for things like balance and agility. And it couldn't have been more cut and dry. Here's the research. Here's the information. Here's what we're saying. But of course, in every article like that, they have to have people who argue against it. They have to make it, quote, fair and balanced. So they brought in three people to argue against it, but the arguments had nothing to do with what Irene and Jay were saying. So this is another thing that allows people to continue believing things that are factually inaccurate is that the people who are reporting think that they're doing a good job by presenting a counter opinion even if the counter opinion is a straw man or a non sequitur or any other thing that is really not a counter opinion it's or a counter argument it's a counter opinion and the opinion has no weight so it's you know th- that that's another issue as well and again hopefully the internet can address that because if we're presenting the information we don't need to bring in somebody who argues with us <laughs> yes yeah at the same time it's a fantasy of mine. I haven't had anyone on the podcast yet who thinks I'm completely full of shit. And I want one of those people to get on the the podcast. Now I have to be careful, I I will admit, because there's one or two people that I know who I would love to talk to, but I'm well-versed in the ideas of the research. I'm a globalist. I'm not a, I don't do specifics as well. Um, And they're very well-versed in the specifics. And so if they just start, you know, saying, well, the following research and they misinterpret it or they use it to their own advantage, um, you know, I won't be able to counter that in real time because I won't know the research well enough to go, well, hold on. Um, So it's a bit of a challenge, but but Maybe
1: maybe you do a debate. I don't know. I think it will be easier.
0: You know, it's so funny you say that. The this this uh, panel discussion at the American College of Sports Medicine. So me, Tony Post, and for people who don't know, because I'm sure they don't, Tony Post was the CEO of Vibram when the Five Fingers took off, and now he has his own company, and he totally believes in natural movement. And then the guys from Brooks and Adidas. That was the most well attended event they ever had. It was literally standing room only. People were they packed the aisles, and it's something that I've wanted to do is to um, go on tour, not not just me, like me and you, me and I, I mean, you and Irene, I mean, any combination of the people who are doing this research, who know it well, but I want to include myself just because as a former stand-up comic, sometimes I can make the points in ways that people get faster. But regardless, um, we get, you know, the pro-natural movement and the anti-natural movement people, and we go on tour. Now, the only problem with this idea is the people on the (laughs) other side of the argument They have to have egos the size of Mount Everest because we will destroy them. And they have to be able to handle that maybe by getting paid enough. You know, they have to be willing to just be the battering or the whatever the the other side of a battering ram is, whatever you batter with a battering ram, because that's what happens because they have no research that leans in their favor or the, the research they have that seems to err in their favor is so flawed. It's unbelievable. I mean, the one example I like to give is some research done here at the University of Colorado was done with, quote, accomplished barefoot runners. And I said to the person who did the research, I know all the barefoot runners in town. I'm one of them. And neither I nor anyone I know was involved in your research. I know the people that were in your research. They're not accomplished barefoot runners. They're accomplished runners who spend a little bit of training time running barefoot on the grass completely different thing and oh yeah i said by the way the university of colorado lab is sponsored by nike not saying that taints everything but you know it's important to know that
1: yeah and in the academia there are a lot of vanity so people are vain, vain a yeah. lot yeah and yeah you have to break paradigms to be a good scientist you have to be flexible to help people or to change the status quo of a lot of things, we have to be flexible. We have to suspect of what we believed so hard, because otherwise, science won't advance. Well, we won't change. Point,
0: what you have to be willing to do is investigate something to prove, to see if you're wrong, not to prove that you're right. And the point you made at the very beginning of this conversation was, you know, in so beginning and finding out that the cushioning did not reduce loading forces was surprising because you thought that it would. Everyone who did that research, Christine Pollard, tells the same story. We thought we would see decreased loading forces with increased cushioning. We were surprised to see that it wasn't the case. And so that thing of like, let's take a look and be willing to find out that the data disagrees with what we believe. And then change our mind because of that. This is a very powerful thing, and it's yeah. again what people who aren't doing their own research or don't understand research don't understand or don't do. Um, or uh, people will rely; they'll they'll misrepresent their own experience if they don't have research to hold yeah. on to the thing they believe. I mean, this is just human cognition. It's just what people do. Yes.
1: Yes, yes. And you know the, about this moleca and the OA study?
0: Yeah. We,
1: we were invited for a big show in the biggest network television in Brazil, which is Global News. And the program was about pain. And we were there for like an hour and a half describing our study and other studies. And this might be part of that baby steps yeah. to convince people i also are i am being invited for some conferences some lives and that maybe people would at least suspect Maybe their beliefs, their previous beliefs are not that true. And I think I think we are, for example, this initiative about the International Working Group on Diabetic Food was an amazing initiative yeah. and based on studies. And now about this uh, amazing paper that we did for five years, we finished our study and it's published that the hazard ratio for injuries is reducing 2.5. So it's, I think people will start and at least some groups, and then these groups will talk to the others, and then we can have like a wave of changing. It will be uh, slow, but I think we're doing something.
0: I think there's, there's, I usually talk about this from two angles, but I think there's three angles, are three points of a triangle, if you will, that are responsible for the change. One is just that grassroots thing of people having the experience and it changes their lives and they share that. Another is highly influential people who have the experience, who can, who have higher reach professional athletes, for example. And the third, of course, is the research and they all sort of work together there's the grassroots component. There's the high, the top down component. And most importantly, the research, again, I'm going to contend that it won't be the thing that drives the change, but it's going to be the thing that once people, uh, it's sort of like after you buy a red car, all you see is red cars. You know, when you have that, the information behind you to, under, to explain and understand the experience that you've had, then that's really powerful. If you're just trying to give people information, that doesn't do it. But if you have that as the backup, um, in fact, it's something that we've been trying to do is trying to guide people on how to talk about the experience they've had from wearing zero shoes so that they don't meet resistance or create resistance, but invite people into the questioning, into the, into the curiosity. And then here's all that information that allows them to find out more. And frankly, it's something we need to do better on, on our end, it's something we need to do better on our website um, and in the communication we have. And this is something, it's a project of ours. Um, and, and to that, on that note, all the studies that we talked about here, we're going to have in the show notes, and we're going to be adding those to our website. And same thing with the um, the software that you described, we'll definitely put a link in for that as well, so people can experience that. It's all of these things together. I mean, I I, I agree with you that eventually it's going to have to make a difference because it makes a difference. If what we yeah. were talking was just marketing bullshit, it wouldn't matter. But when people have these experiences, you can't, you know, and it's not just their perception of a change, it's demonstrable change. Yeah. And the research backs up. I mean, that's our only hope, I think.
1: Yeah. And this initiative here that you do with your podcasts are amazing. I think Thanks. it reaches more people. They inform people in a different way, in exactly. a way that people like.
0: I, you know, I think about it like there's certain um, design ideas. Um, there's a particular car in America. There are a couple of cars in America that when they first came out, people didn't like the way they looked. I mean, they were very polarized. People either loved them or hated them. And that polarization created a conversation. And over time, people got used to the design because they'd kept seeing it. And so they weren't as polarized. And then the company made the design less polarizing and more acceptable to more people. And I'm sure there's some. Version of that that we can all do, where we create the polarization even bigger than it is right now, um, and then once people get used to it, and more and more people have the experience, it'll uh, it won't be as crazy, and then things get toned down a little bit. Yeah, Although there's yeah. nothing for us to tone down because we're already doing the most powerful yeah. thing you could do. <laughs> yes. yes,
1: for sure. Yeah, this
0: is it um, anything else that you can think of that you want to share? Anything that it's coming up that you're working on that's exciting? For you,
1: I think this uh, software that it's free and public. You yeah. can you can download in the Android, just for Android in the in the Play Store. Uh, I have to have fundings to go to the iPhone as well. I think it's a a good start.
0: Hold, hold that thought. How much do you think it would cost to make the iPhone version, the iOS version?
1: Um, we need ten thousand reais, which is I think two thousand dollars, <laughs> something like yeah. that. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, Um,
0: we need to talk. Okay. (laughs)
1: Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's a good thing for people to start because it's a very friendly environment. It is a software because it has an algorithm behind because you give a score to each exercise you do. So the next exercise will be easier or harder or the same level of intensity. You have eight exercises each session. You should practice three times a week.
0: And how long? Five minutes, 10 minutes?
1: Yes, 10 minutes. You have gamification elements to motivate people to keep doing the exercises. We also uh, have a chat that people that use the software can discuss and exchange ideas. And yeah, I I can... Maybe it's important if you could to share in your website and people okay. can oh, have absolutely. access to that.
0: Absolutely. And um, yeah, we'll talk. Um, okay. $2,000 is not a lot of money to make something this important happen.
1: Okay. Thank you very much.
0: Oh, Great. No, oh my God. I Again, I am annoyed sometimes when something this important and some of the things we talked about have I haven't known about because I've just been so busy doing what I've been doing, but thrilled to find out and happy to help, obviously.
1: Great. Okay.
0: Well, let's wrap it up. Isabel, thank you so, so much. And for everyone else, again, if people want to track what you're doing, find out more of what you're doing and support you in any way, what's the best way to get in touch with you or find out more of what you're up to?
1: Yeah. We have our website from our lab and also my email, if people can. I'm not very active in the social media. I use Facebook yet because still I am old. I don't have Instagram. (laughs) So people can reach me by email. I don't know.
0: What's the lab website? What's the the URL for the lab website?
1: Uh, www.usp, that stands for University of Sao Paulo, slash.
0: uh, Keep going. It'll be USP dot something at this point. It won't be a slash yet. Really? No.
1: Yeah. Dot B-R slash L-A-B-I-M-P-H which stands for uh, Laboratory of Biomechanics of Movement and Human Posture or Posture Human because it's in Portuguese, okay. but it's in English. Uh, people can read it
0: So wait, in let's English. do it again. So usp.br slash, do the last part again.
1: L-A-M-B-I-M-B-H.
0: L-A, got it. Perfect. Um, well, we'll definitely send okay, um, <laughs> something <La
1: Bimf>. like. something. <laughs>
0: yeah, la Bimf. Um, perfect. So again, Isabel, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um really looking forward. I mean, it's it's been really annoying in the last year and a half that the events where we would normally get to see each other um, have not happened. And I'm really looking forward to when that changes, because there's just so much information that needs to get kind of put together and just conversation about how we can move, move the movement forward. And I'm really looking forward to that. So for everybody else, once again, please check out Isabel's site. I'll put her email in the show notes as well. And most importantly, uh, that'll be at www.jointhemovementmovement.com. Again, This is all about you. So if you found this in any way valuable or useful, spread the word, share, like, leave reviews, give a thumbs up in the places you can thumbs up and hit the bell icon on YouTube. You know what to do. Again, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. But most importantly, please go out, have fun and live life feet first.